The Old Testament this morning is a passage from Malachi, uh, chapter 2, starting at the tail end of chapter 2, verse 17, and continuing through chapter 3, verse 5. You have wearied the, the Lord with your words, yet you ask, how have we wearied him? When you say, everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he is delighted with them, or else, where is the God of justice? See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in, See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then... They will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien, they do not fear me, says the Lord of armies. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Our psalm today we will read responsively. In your, uh, in your program, we will read Psalm 147, verses 12 through 20. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he will strengthen the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word comes swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not done this for every nation. They do not know his judgments. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament lesson is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, 
But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson today is a bit of a long one. Uh, we're starting a series in Mark. And Mark is, at its heart, first and foremost, a story. And so every week we're going to be reading long passages of Mark with probably a shorter sermon after it. The gospel today is from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 28. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And so John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem was going out to him and was being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, 
Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. And they went on into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And immediately there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What would you do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. And they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And all at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. As I said, we're starting a new series in Mark. We're going to do the entire book for the next 13 weeks. Now, a sermon is not supposed to be a Bible study or a book report. And sometimes that's kind of sad for me because I really like Bible studies and book reports. But I want to just take a few minutes and talk kind of about the the total shape of this book that we're going to be sharing for the next three months. There are four gospel accounts in the Bible. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Most scholars today think that Mark was written first. It was the first gospel written, and probably Matthew and Luke had a copy of it when they were writing their gospel. It's, it's very easy and, and common to try to differentiate the four Gospels kind of in a, a one-sentence summary. And it does a, a bit of a disservice to the Gospels, but it's a good way of kind of remembering what they are. And so you'll often hear people say that Matthew was the Gospel written for the Jews, that it was really concerned with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It really leans on genealogy and Jewish laws and how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. And then Luke Luke really focuses on marginalized groups. It talks a lot about women. It talks a lot about the poor. It talks a lot about Gentiles, probably because Luke was a Gentile himself. And so the idea of Gentiles being grafted into the people of God was really important to him. And John is the theological gospel. It goes into great detail, not only telling what Jesus did, but explaining it. And it frames everything in this idea of Jesus being the true Passover lamb. That's kind of the overwhelming theme of John. And it really delves deep into the theology behind the events. So what's Mark? Mark doesn't tell. Mark shows. Mark is first and foremost a story. 
It's a narrative, and it really moves. I really think that Mark and I would have gotten along well because Mark basically writes in bullet points. Some people like to tell a long, winding story where no detail is unimportant. Some people like to talk in as short of sentences as possible. You might have heard while I was reading it over and over again, Mark uses the word immediately. And so it's just a series of events. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then immediately this happened, and then right after that, this happened. It's a story. It wants to give the main highlights of the life, the ministry, and death of Jesus of Nazareth. As we're going through this together, you might actually ask yourself, well, who's Mark? Mark isn't one of the 12 disciples. Mark isn't mentioned in the book. Mark is generally, not universally, but generally thought to be John Mark, who's the companion of Paul and Barnabas, and then later Peter in Acts. And this is important because Peter is really the central figure in, in a lot of Mark. He's, or the central, the, he's, he's the one that kind of represents us. Peter shows up a lot in Mark. There's an early account of kind of why this might be. Um, in the beginning of the, the second century, so like the generation just after the apostles, like the apostles trained the next generation of leaders, guys like Polycarp, and one of these guys was named Papias. Papias was, uh, he lived in Greece, he was a bishop, and he said in probably about maybe 20 years after Mark died, that Mark was the apprentice of Peter, and that Mark basically wrote down all of Peter's sermons. And this is what the gospel of Mark is. So Peter would go around like in Acts 10. He would go around preaching and telling the story of Jesus. And his scribe or his companion, John Mark, was probably there just taking diligent notes. And that got turned into the gospel of Mark. So as we start to look at Mark together, um, I, was, I was thinking this week about what one of my favorite Bible teachers, Jen Wilkin, says, you may have heard me mention Jen before, she's an incredible Bible teacher, and she says that when you approach a book of the Bible, it is really important to figure out what question that book is trying to answer, rather than us coming kind of with our preloaded questions and, and digging around for answers. As we approach the text of scripture, we need to figure out what question is this book trying to answer. In the case of Mark, the question that it wants to answer lies almost in the dead center of the book. I'll be talking a lot more about this as we get closer and closer to that. But basically, at the end of Mark 8, there is a huge pivot point, kind of a hinge, on which the entire gospel turns. It's the main theme of Mark, and it's asking a very important question. At the end of Mark 8, Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, Who do you think that I am? That's the question that Mark wants to answer. The question comes at the very center of this book. But interestingly, the answer comes at the very beginning and at the very end. It's a really cool structure, the way that it's set up. And actually, the reader ends up knowing more than the people in the story did. So Mark is attempting to answer the question in the middle of this book. Who is Jesus? Anybody there with a Bible, read out Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Just read it out loud. So there you go. This is the gospel of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark answers the question that's in the middle of the book at the very beginning of it. This is who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. And the purpose of Mark is very evangelistic. He tells a simple story in order to win converts to the Christian faith. If you have friends who don't know Jesus and, and show any interest 
and knowing more about him, give him a copy of the Gospel of Mark. In about 90 minutes, you can very slowly and carefully read Mark for understanding. So we find out right from the beginning who this Jesus is. He's the Son of God. Like I said, we're going to be doing about one chapter per week here. And I think it's important that we hear the story as much as you hear me talk about the story. So we'll do one chapter a week, and then we'll probably take a a little bit of a deeper dive into one of the events in that chapter. But in this week, in chapter one, Mark is basically setting the scene. And so I just kind of want to look at a, a brief overview of all the different things that he talks about in this first chapter. We heard, Mal- we heard Malachi 2 read out today. And this is a real parallel to the Isaiah passage that it says at the beginning of Mark. A voice of one crying, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. God has said over and over in the Old Testament, I am going to send someone. I am going, and he says in Malachi, I'm going to send myself. But you're not ready for it. So I'm going to have to send someone to prepare the way. I'm going to have to send someone ahead of the Lord. And so in in Mark, boom, John the Baptist appears. No backstory, no setup, just here's John. And he's dressed like the prophet Elijah, and he sounds like the prophet Isaiah. And he comes talking about the one who is to come after him. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached and he said, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the the straps of whose sandal I am not fit to bend down and untie. This is the, the lowest form of work that a slave would do at that time. Even a Jewish servant wouldn't be made to bend down and untie someone's sandal straps. And John is saying, yeah, I know y'all are coming out to see me, but the one who's coming after me makes me pale in comparison to him. And so he summarizes the whole of the prophets in about three lines. Repent, believe in God, and look for the one who's coming after me. And then immediately here comes Jesus. It's, It's a little bit ironic that we're spending all this time in the, we spent a lot of time in the, in the Christmas season, in Advent, and then Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, thinking about the, the Matthew account of Jesus' birth, or the Luke account of Jesus' birth. There's the announcement of, from Gabriel to Mary. There's this relationship drama between Mary and Joseph. There's shepherds and wise men coming to adore the baby Jesus. There's absolutely none of that in Mark. It's just, okay, here's a guy named John, here's a couple things he did, and here's Jesus, and let's get on with our story. What, what happened in the previous 30 years of Jesus' life? Uh, that's somebody else's problem. Somebody else can tell that story. So why is John here? John's here to baptize Jesus. He had fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. He had fulfilled Malachi's prophecy. He had carried out his part of the story. Prepare the way of the Lord. Check. And we see Jesus being anointed by the Holy Spirit. We've already been told who he is. He is the Son of God. We're told it in verse 1, and we're shown it in verse 11. But immediately, before he can be worshipped or crowned or recognized, he's whisked away. This is not the time for people to know who he is. We'll see that again later. And then as quickly as the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, that same Holy Spirit, who glorified Christ in one moment, 
tested Christ in another moment. That same Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. In other Gospels, we get details about what that was. Does Mark give any details? No. Just leave that for someone else. It's time to kick off Jesus' public ministry. And we start to get a sense of who this Jesus is when we see him interacting with other people. That's when we start to get details, how he interacts with his followers. Verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Wait, what? John got arrested? Why was John arrested? What was John arrested for? Where did he go? Nope. None of that. We're already, off to the, we're already on to Jesus. But it's interesting to note that John was preaching, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. And then the only other detail we get about him was that he was arrested. And so here comes Jesus, picking up this same exact sermon. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. John, was, John preached and John was arrested. Jesus comes and preaches the same message. The last time someone preached that message, it didn't end up too well for them. And so we already start to see a foreshadowing of what might happen to Jesus if he continues in this same vein. We've already heard from verse 1 that he's the Son of God. We've already heard from John that he's not fit to even untie Jesus' shoelace. But now we start to see the power of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and in one sentence, he gets career fishermen to quit their jobs on the spot and follow him. On the spot, not two weeks' notice, not come see me at the end of the day, just, you know, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they didn't say, well, tell me more. What's your, your vision for this ministry? What are we, we going to be doing? I want to learn a little bit more about it. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. And they drop their nets and they follow him. And then just to prove that it wasn't a fluke, that Simon, Peter, and Andrew weren't just complete morons who would do whatever some guy said, Jesus does it again. A little further down the beach, he finds James and John, the son of Zebedee. And he says, follow me. And they leave their dad, who was probably also their boss. They just leave him in the boat, and they follow Jesus. And so immediately, and there's that word again, immediately Jesus starts putting his disciples together, gathering his followers to him. And after he started to gather his followers, we get the first, we get the, the first picture of him teaching. Verse 21. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began teaching. Now, this wasn't a Quaker meeting where anybody can stand up and give a word from the Lord. If you're going to stand up in the middle of the synagogue and teach, you need to be recognized as someone who knows what they're talking about. And so already, Jesus was probably seen as a rabbi. And yet, when he stands up and begins teaching, they were astonished astonished at his teaching. They had never heard anything like it before. For he taught them as one who had authority. Basically, it means one who had authority in and of himself. At that time, and in a lot of cultures, the rabbinic tradition wasn't so much, hey, I figured this cool thing out. It was, let me tell you what I learned from my teacher, who learned it from his teacher, who learned it from his teacher, and back and back and back. And so the, the authority that you would have is whose pupil you were not that you had come up with something yourself. 
But Jesus broke all of the mold for what a rabbi would be, for what a teacher would be. He taught them as one who had authority in himself and not as one of their scribes. And we end our passage with a picture of another answer to that question that this book is asking. Remember, the overriding question in the Gospel of Mark is, who do you think I am? Who is Jesus? And who, who among the, the people that we see in chapter 1, who immediately correctly identifies who Jesus is? A demon. It, it reminds me of, of the line from James chapter 2, verse 19, where James says, oh, you believe that God is one. Well, will you do well to believe that. Even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. James goes on to say, do you want to be shown, your foolish person, that your faith, apart from your actions, is useless? And that's very much borne out here, this supernatural being, this oppressive spirit who has taken over the life of this man. A supernatural being is the first one to correctly identify the only other supernatural being in the room. The demon identifies Jesus as God. But look at what Jesus does. In the same way that after he came up out of the water and the dove descended on him and the voice from heaven cried out, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. But then before anyone else could identify him, the Holy Spirit took Jesus into the desert. In that same way, when the demon here says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. What are, you gonna, what are you here to do to us? Jesus says, be quiet. He says, be quiet and come out of him. We'll see this again and again in Mark as we move toward the center of the book. Theologians call it the messianic secret. People try to correctly identify who Jesus is. And instead of saying, hey, you figured it out, good for you, he tells them to be quiet. He tells them to keep it to themselves. And so as a reader of this book, or as a hearer of this book, we already know more than the people who, Jesus, who, who are following Jesus. And so this, this Jesus, who is glorified by God with a voice booming out from heaven, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. This Jesus who goes out into the desert for 40 days with Satan and survives, this Jesus who gets people to drop everything that they are doing and follow him, basically abandoning their, their security, abandoning their identifi identification if they, if they saw themselves as, as what they do. This Jesus who gets, who gets people to drop everything and follow him, who teaches with the authority that even the wisest scribes and rabbis at that time didn't have. This Jesus heals the sick. This Jesus commands even the demons who nobody else could do anything about. And so because of these things, the fame of this Jesus immediately began to spread throughout the region of Galilee. Who is Jesus? Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And over the course of the next three months, as we see this unfolding, we will see that Jesus came to be king. We will see that Jesus came to be healer. We'll see that he came to be a teacher, a friend. We'll see that he came to be a brother. And we'll see that he came to be a savior.
Because throughout the book, we see Jesus doing things for the first eight chapters. And then when it turns, we start to find out what Jesus really came here to do. Because almost over a third, almost 40% of the Gospel of Mark details the last two weeks of Jesus' life. His death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And so clearly that's what's on that's what the most important thing is here. Jesus was a mighty king. Jesus was a brilliant teacher. Jesus was a leader and he was a provider. He was a healer, he was a sustainer. But most of all, he came to die. Most of all, he was a savior. It's the reason why it's it's good to remember even at this time of Christmas as we think about Jesus being born being received into a family, being glorified by shepherds and and magi. And we think about this little Jesus who would grow up to be a mighty king. We also realize that the reason that he came was to die. And that's kind of a sobering thought in what is otherwise a celebratory season. But we need to hold those two things in our mind at the same time. That Jesus Christ came into the world to forgive sinners. And so this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that John was doing Jesus is the baptism for the forgiveness of sins. This is why this is why he came. This is why we celebrate him every week. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can gather together to celebrate your birth. We thank you that you that you decided to come down to save us from the mess that we ourselves had made. We praise you for the grace that you've shown us. We ask you that you would, as we, as we delve into this story of Mark, that you would in our own lives, in our everyday lives, that you would show us more and more and more of who you are. That we can every day more confidently answer that question, who do you say that I am? We ask this for ourselves. We ask those who don't know you, that we would find time, that we would find moments in these next couple months that we can tell others. We pray this all in your name. Amen.